You're listening to the number one Oilers podcast, Handkerchief Dynasty, two minutes for interference. The excited goblins began to discuss their plans to snatch the rainbow. We'll eat the colours while the rainbow is still fresh and juicy, they said. But some roots, hanging loosely from the ceiling of the cave, listened carefully while the goblins schemed below. This is not the Cult of Hockey podcast. I am not David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, but I'm joined today by Bruce McCurdy. How are you doing, Bruce? I'm doing all right this morning. How about yourself? Can't complain. I feel like I've I've woken up from a, a strange haze. I feel a little bit like uh, Twilight Zone character. You know, I'm kind of I've been cowered in a corner in a strange, unforgiving, bizarre world full of horrors. Um. You know, I'm watching from the sidelines in my fifth best sweater, hoping for it to end. But it seems like it, it seems like it might be ending soon, and hockey might be coming back. Is that is that actually true? Uh, well, we're certainly trending in that direction. I have to admit, I'm, I'm looking a little bit nervously stateside these days at uh, various developments that are going on down there, and uh, wondering what the heck's in the future for our society at large. But uh, what can you do? You just uh, Hopefully they work those things out and uh, life carries on at, well, normal would be a stretch at this point now, wouldn't it? But <laughs> back to the, at least get back to the plan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep my, my concern about the state of the world, uh, you know, at bay while I, while I focus on my hockey fandom, it's, it's a very mm-hmm. strange melange to be worried about society at large and yet yeah. completely focused on the hockey news that's coming in as well, because mm-hmm. I mean, training camps are now open and, you know, but like really, like what are there? Like some teams, we still don't know exactly what's going on with with um, like San Jose might be playing in Arizona. Yeah. I think farm teams are still to be figured out for a lot of AHL affiliates. That's true, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I, there was one AHL team that canceled operation for the season yesterday. Was it Indianapolis Checkers that uh, decided that they were not going to be able to make a go of it at all? So they're they're. Um, Parent club, and uh, forgive me, I have I've lost track of which parent team owns which AHL team at this stage. I mean, like there's there's all kinds Other of parents out there what? that have lost track of who, whose kids are theirs too. Yeah. That's a very confusing <laughs> yes. time. Exactly. Anyway, that uh, so that team will get into a, a uh, 
a shared arrangement with another franchise. And uh, we as veteran Oilers fans know what a shared arrangement uh, is like having uh, survived the, uh, the two seasons that the Oilers suspended operations of their AHL uh, franchise right after the uh, 2004-05 lost season. And frankly, I, I thought those, uh, uh, those lost seasons of development time uh, uh, kind of set the stage for some of the uh, um, darkness that followed in the decade after that. Uh, yeah, certainly. I think I think that's a that's a fair point to make. Um, and and the kind of like a, it sets the stage also just for the for the fan to see the kind of uh, mediocrity and failure that they might see in the, in the higher leagues too. Or at least that was the case mm -hmm. in the past. But um, like, I, I don't think we even know where the Edmonton Oilers AHL affiliate is going to play, do we? Well, we don't. We don't. I mean, uh, the three Western Canadian teams are the three that have cross-border affiliates. Uh, all of the American teams have their uh, have their farm teams also in the states, and from Winnipeg, Toronto, Ottawa, and Montreal, all have their farm teams fairly nearby in, in uh, Eastern Canada. Uh, I've heard at least rumblings that the, well, I've heard some rumblings that the uh, Western Canadian teams, a couple of them just sort of cheaped out and decided they were just gonna keep their farm teams where they were. And then I heard later reports that they were rethinking that position. And who knows? I mean, the AHL starts on February 5th, but to me, it would be a serious advantage to have, um, have your farm team down in the States, especially when there's, uh, you know, uh, border restrictions in place. Like that really would hamper the flexibility of your team. And it's, it's going to be kind of hard to figure how in the heck they're going to do this thing with the taxi squads and all that anyway, once the AHL gets rolling. Like how many bodies do you have and how many of them do you want sitting around as opposed to playing games somewhere else? So it's uh, very much a... a uh, uh, open question at this point in time definitely an interesting um inaugural season for scott Housen managing the ahl eh? Mm -hmm. yeah yeah this uh odd odd transition from uh, one former manager of the cape breton oilers to another as the <laughs> uh head man in the ahl because dave anders of course was the uh, uh Housen's predecessor in that role for i think 26 years but they both have that distant connection to the so Nova Scotia or is Cape Breton Oilers, one of them anyway. I think Cape Breton. So, I mean, and, and honestly, the Oilers would be better off right now if their farm team was in Cape Breton than where it is in Stockton, California, because of that border thing. Yeah, I mean, really, let's just move it full time to Red Deer or something. Let's go. Let's just let's just complete the process. Um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty crazy that we're starting the season without even really knowing that yet. I mean, there's there's probably a few questions that are that are outstanding in people's minds, but like that's certainly a weird one. And yeah, like I think the the taxi squad who's on our taxi squad is going to be all, all the more important for the next for the, for the opening few weeks here. Um, mm. I think the biggest the biggest story that I'm following um, out of training camp is you know we have uh, the Connor is is reunited with the Nuge and it looks like by all like by all reports people are saying that they're just it looks like men against boys every time they're out there on the ice and I know everyone's going to be super disappointed and we'll be talking about the dynamite line till the end of time but I mean <clears throat> assuming we see Nuge on Connor's wing 
I mean, what kind of offensive production could we see from from young Mr. Ryan Nugent Hopkins here in a contract year? Uh, pretty good. I mean, he'll be, he'll be going some to, to exceed what he did in the, uh, uh, well, what would have been the second half of last season, uh, starting from game 42 on New Year's Eve. Uh, of course, they only played 30 games after that, but he scored 41 points in those 30 games to be among the top five in the NHL uh, in, uh, uh, in second half scoring. Uh, and, and then some, something like eight points in the playoffs as well, And then right? something like eight points in four games in the playoffs uh, playing with McDavid. Most of the 41 and 30 came on the line with uh, Drysaddle and Yamamoto at even strength. And of course, a lot of the points in both situations came on the power play with both McDavid and Dreisaitl, and uh, Nuge is a, an important cog in that uh, unit, unit as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think it would, I, I, I mean, it might inflate his value a little bit going into the, the contract year here, but um, in a weird way, I feel like playing on Connor's wing would be tr- like tremendously enticing to any, any player kind of like thinking about their future, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially in a contract year. I mean, the Oilers are—they uh, have, you know—they have to play it a little bit careful. I mean, you—you'll remember that uh, Leon Drysaddle was put up on uh, McDavid's wing during his contract here, and that, of course, immediately paid off with an immense maximum term contract for young Mr. Drysaddle that uh, had a lot of people uh, concerned that it was an overpay. And in, uh, in uh, the brief retrospect of, uh, well, I guess three years later, it doesn't look like such a bad deal now, does it? Oh, no. I mean, I think anyone alive that looks at the dry settle contracts and <laughs> thinks it's not a great contract needs to give their head a shake for sure. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm really thinking about the new Jalan. I think it's going to be impossible to not obsess over him until he is mm-hmm. locked up. But um, I mean, do you think there's any chance, real real chance that we should be worried here about uh, about his pending free agency? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, as an Oilers fan, I've, I've come to expect that uh, players that grew up on the team that I've, you know, come to uh, uh, come to root for and and uh, and uh, you know really really care about seem to wind up leaving town when they're in their mid to late twenties, and it's just happened over and over and over and over too many times to to count. Uh, although we try, but uh, <laughs> it, I'm I, I'm somewhat concerned. At the same time, I think the um, I think the man that Ryan Nugent Hopkins is and has become is uh, uh, pretty content with his lot in life here in Edmonton. Uh, you know, like he's been well looked after. I mean, the team paid him $6 million a year starting at age 21, right? It's not like they've, uh, uh, they've been treating him poorly, right? He's not Jeff Petrie who got a low ball bridge contract and then a, a one-year show-me contract and finally said, enough, get me out of here. Uh, that's, that just simply doesn't apply. The Oilers have paid Nuge well for, this will be the seventh year of that seven-year pact. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, he's found his, it, it took a while. And honestly, I did not expect him to wind up on the wing. I always saw him as kind of a prototypical center, you know, a joiner, connector kind of player that uh, mm. you want the puck going through his stick a lot. Uh, but he's convinced me that uh, he's even better suited to the wing position. I think in particular, it plays into his strengths as a defensive player. 
and as a you know as a as a guy who's who's uh, who's strong on the back check, who's able to lift sticks, who's able to you know pick off passes, as opposed to a guy who can pound the the boards in the defensive triangle for you know lengthy cycles. Uh, I don't think that plays to his strengths because honestly, strength is not one of his strengths. Whereas Drysaddle, you know, that, that was the oddest thing when they put that line together. They actually switched the left winger to center and they switched the center to left wing to make the line. But that's what made it work, uh, to my view. And they were they were a very, very fine two-way line. With Drysaddle seemingly much more at home at center than he was at the wing and, and vice versa with the Nuge. And we had the big, strong, uh, you know, powerhouse of a, of a, of a centerman playing low in the defensive zone. And I, I just think that worked better. So uh, Nuge to me, he's Patrick Marlowe. His, his career tracks very similar to Patrick Marlowe, who was a second overall draft choice, uh, uh, 97, I think it was. And he, Marlowe, he waited, he wasn't, I think 25 when he got his first 60 point season, which is the same with Nuge. And then he started stringing together the 60 point seasons. And around that time, he made the move himself, Marlowe did, from center to wing because his team got a preponderance of first-rate centers, including Joe Thornton, Joe Velsky, uh, Logan Couture. You know, they had they had more centers than wingers, and, the, you know, so they needed someone to make the switch, and Marlowe did, and he did it very successfully. And you know what? He signed four contracts with San Jose that covered a 12-year span uh, in which each of the four contracts, the annual average value started with a six and mind you it was against a different salary cap and so on different different situation but you know he wasn't getting a huge raise because he lived up to his previous contract so well you lived up to that contract we'll give you another similar one and i think he got up to like 6.8 or 6.9 but he never you know cashed in with the big nine million dollar deal like some players did and what patrick marlowe was uh was an elite complimentary player and that, that may sound like a little bit of a contradiction in terms, but, uh, but uh, to me, it's something that makes sense. Like as a primary driver, he was less successful than when he was the second best player on his line, but his line mate was Joe Thornton, you know, or, or, mm-hmm. or uh, any of the guys that I just named mm-hmm. and good on the power play and a good all-purpose player that did a lot of different things for San Jose and put in a lot of minutes for San Jose. And, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, is a very similar player for Edmonton who has himself just made the uh, what seems to be the permanent switch to the uh, to the port side. Yeah, I mean, I would love for him to be the, the a Patrick Marlowe type who just plays his entire career um, with his uh, his home team, hometown team, or, or his 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 only team, the Oilers. Um, I think there's going to be did go to Toronto and uh, briefly, yeah. of course, to uh, to Carolina, but that was at the very end of a very long and successful career but yeah it would be lovely to have one oiler in my lifetime that played his entire career here without having to leave town at some point do you think there's any chance in the first few weeks i mean assuming we do see nuge with with mcdavid on the top line that like they'll whatever their offensive production will is it, it will it will silence the people demanding uh dynamite 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 yep yeah that's oh, yeah. what I'm, I'm thinking too. Like, I think if they blow the doors off enough, then the then we'll wins, kind of team wins games with whatever a lineup it is. Uh, 
uh, that that talk will will start to calm down. If they don't win games, especially if you know Drysaddle and or Yamamoto have their struggles, uh, or you know they they don't find someone that clicks on the left side the way Nuge did, and there's you know every chance. I mean, the Oilers don't have enough Nuges to go around, so there's every chance that there you know there's there'll be a price to pay on the other side of the equation. I mean, my my vote always has been best solution is to clone Nuge, and then you've got put one on each of the first two lines and, and problem solved. Yeah. But given that's not going to happen, uh, they just have to find the best way. And la- I mean, last year you look at the dynamite line, and they were they were dynamite. They outscored by a very wide margin. They were excellent both offensively and defensively. Uh, but McDavid kind of got the dregs of the wingers, and he continued to score because he's Connor McDavid. But uh, the Oilers weren't outscoring with uh, with McDavid on the ice. They were just sawing off, mm. and. When you've got a twelve and a half million dollar player, uh, you don't want him to be sawing off out there. You've got to find a way for for uh, uh, to maximize him to your advantage that you're yeah. winning his part of the game. Yeah, you definitely want someone who can who's got that level of skill to be kind of elevating the people around him as much, and you and you want to get as much production out of the whole line as possible. I mean, I'm I'm probably like in the in the minority in that I'm not as fixated on on the dynamite line being reunited as some. Um, mm-hmm. I am I'm curious for your thoughts though. I mean, you know, Zach Cassian, you know, we love him. He's a teddy bear. He's he's a violent teddy bear. Um, sometimes he can be a bit of an inconsistent teddy bear. Do you think um, if 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 he doesn't uh, do well with Nuge and, and McDavid up front on the top line here, are we are we are we punching a ticket to Seattle for him next year? Uh, well, not necessarily, uh, but uh, that, it is a possible outcome. Uh, Cassian's got a few questions to answer this year. Uh, frankly, he was uh, uh, he was very good throughout calendar 2019. They put him on the line with uh, uh, McDavid and Drysaddle, basically at the turn of the calendar in 2019. And then, of course, when the calendar turned in 2020, that's when they moved Drysaddle off to his own line. Uh, and in calendar 2019, Cassian played exactly 82 games, 24 goals, 26 assists, 50 points. Like that's very, very nice production for a guy totally. who never, never plays on the power play. Let's not forget that part. But in 2020, uh, once they reshuffled things and, and a couple of things went sideways for him, of course, he had that big um, set to with uh, Matthew Kachuk uh, that had some people wanting to... Uh, uh, raise his, uh, his number to the banners immediately and had other people saying, well, you know, that five-minute major penalty that he took for that, uh, for taking those liberties where Calgary scored the game-winning goal while he was in the penalty box, you know, I mean, there's prices to be paid for those things as, 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 uh, as fun as those uh, few moments uh, may have been. Uh, and he got suspended. But while he was suspended, there was such a swell of public uh, love. I don't, I don't think there's another word for it for, for this man. Mm. And before even the suspension ended, the day that the suspension was ending and he was returning to the ice was the day that the Oilers announced the new four-year $3.2 million extension for him. And really from that day to the end of the season, uh, his game just didn't really measure up. He never recaptured. Uh, with He was playing a lot with McDavid still. And James Neal was playing some on the left wing, as I recall. <clears throat> and 
the wingers were producing very, very little, and McDavid was driving almost all of the offense. And then, of course, uh, McDavid got hurt, and then Cassie took that silly suspension uh, for pushing off the uh, the Tampa Bay guy with his skate, where he got a seven-game suspension, the biggest mm. suspension on ice for an on-ice incident that was handed out in the NHL last year, went to Zach Cassian for that. And he came back from that, and again, his play was fairly fairly mushy and then come the uh the play-in series he was a no-show like it was i yeah. was exceedingly disappointed with his play like you know he he, he was demoted off the first line after one game because he played poorly in that game and the rest of the series i mean he got his shifts down in the bottom six but he did nothing with him you know he had three hits in the four game series against uh, chicago three hits zach yeah. cassian Connor McDavid had four hits in game one yeah. and four hits in game four. I mean, wait a minute. Who's supposed to be leading the physical charge for the Edmonton Oilers? Well, that's the player that the Oilers need uh, casting to be, preferably without the suspensions part. Uh, but uh, and, and I would think that, uh, that uh, Ken Holland uh, may have had a chat with uh, young Mr. Cassian up some point about uh, the, the exit interview would have been very interesting after the orders invested all you know an eight-figure contract in the guy uh, and in Cassian's defense I do think he's a guy who feeds off the crowd yeah and I do think that he you know that that strange environment in the bubble uh, was uh, one that maybe affected him more than others and, and you know maybe I'm reading excuses into it but I think there's some legitimacy to that I mean, you could say that with this Canadian division, what we're calling on the podcast, the Northern abstraction, I mean, the player of his ilk is, is perhaps more important to the team than, than for any other regular season we've seen. Um, even without fans in the stands, I mean, do you figure there's a decent chance the the rivalries and the sheer kind of bombacity of, of the other teams involved in this kind of playoff, quasi-playoff atmosphere might uh, might be the right mixture to uh, to shake him out from his doldrums well there's going to be a lot of rivalry games now aren't there so i mean 10 oh, against calgary 10 against vancouver and then uh, you know the other teams aren't <clears throat> traditional in division rival rivals or haven't been for many years like winnipeg jets were you know they were actual different winnipeg jets they were the arizona coyotes the last time they were the Winnipeg Jets in, in, in our division, if you follow me. Mm, mm. And Toronto Maple Leafs, Montreal Canadiens, I've never been in our division, but you can't tell me for a minute that there's going to be any difficulty for fans, players alike, to immediately get up for what will, for the first time, be four-point games against those opponents every time they play. So, uh, yes, it's, you know, ideally you you have a... Uh, 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 a uh, uh, your death players, of which I still consider Cassian to be one, that you know will will rise to those uh, rise to those occasions, and there'll be more of those occasions. So let's hope that it brings out the best in Zach. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think that we're going to see like I, my, I suspect that we might see a little bit of a a gentlemanly kind of preamble to the season between these these uh, Canadian division teams, like a little bit of a gentlemanly sussing out period before you know about midway in or say about a third of the way in we we descend into the kind of knuckle dragging um 
punch him in the face fun that we all enjoy like do you think we're going to see a lot of fighting in, in the, in you the think northern mid- abstraction sorry you're saying midway into the first period of game one <laughs> no I, I thought midway into the season but you, you think it's gonna it's gonna we're gonna drop I th- the buzz I right away it, i think it'll be intense i don't know about knuckle dragging and fighting i i i really do think that 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 whole oeuvre is on the is on the decline and you'll get the odd little bit of it as as we did uh Last year, I mean, against the Flames, of course, not only Cassian and Kachuk, but the uh, uh, the famous goalie fight, and even the Nuge got into one, dropping the gloves there with uh, uh, who was the guy in Calgary that uh, went at it to, with him, and uh, uh, you know, stuff sometimes happens, but uh, I don't anticipate it's going to be uh, you know the 1977-78 WHA. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see. I mean, I think probably some people would like it if it was the old old time WHA, but um, that was the seven team league, and we saw the opponents regularly, and uh, there yeah. were some pretty serious rivalries built out. But every team had between two and four full time goons on their roster. Like it was a very it was the slap shot era of hockey. Some some teams have been loading up on on the kind of enforcer types here and there. I know Brian Burke thinks the Oilers don't have enough toughness, but you could probably probably assume that he thinks that on most days i mean i think we probably most we all think that most days do you do you worry at all about that um that kind of game within the game for us well a little bit i just i you need to have guys who will answer the bell and uh you know we talked about cassie and certainly darnell nurse is such a player and such a player who's have to be on the ice for you know he's got, there's a 40 percent chance that he's on the ice at the yeah. time that anything might might occur right it's not like he's sitting on the bench and he can't wait to get out there but by the time he does it's you know a power play and a tv timeout later and you know things kind of change and i you know the Oilers have uh uh they got they got guys who can look after themselves and and uh, i just don't see the extracurricular activities as 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 being that fundamental anymore that you want to be uh uh bringing guys in for that reason first and foremost i mean yes you want a physical uh you want some physicality on your team you want to be able to hit the other guys you want to be able to uh you know up the up the uh the physical or um, intensity during spurts during games uh i'm not sure that you're going to see it you know 60 minutes all night every night or anything close to that i think you know Mostly they're going to stick to hockey and mostly the other teams are going to stick to hockey. Uh, yeah, I would, I'd be fine with that. I like old time hockey. I mean, um, like that's kind of what I was envisioning, especially without the fans. I, I wonder, it's, it's going to be strange. Like it's on yeah. the one hand, we have these rivalries in Canada. We're going to be playing each other a lot. And I think that'll really build up a lot of tension. But then on the other hand, you know, no fans in the stands, which I think we probably, there's no talk at least of putting fans in the stands in a substantial way. Um, anywhere yet, right? I know some owners probably want to get it going maybe midway through the season, but that's very much mm-hmm. still like not not in the cards from what I could see. I understand season ticket holders got a, a letter saying that uh, their in, their down payment and so on has all been put off to 2021-22. Sorry, next season. Okay. 2021-22 um, kind of sounds like three seasons, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's... Uh, uh, <laughs> But next next season, um, and so and they weren't ruling out that there might be uh, attendance at games later in the season. But I think it's 
pretty safe to rule out that there'll be full houses uh, at any point uh, during the 21 season. So it's, uh, it, it, there might be, I mean, we see games now from different places and I think they're going to start in the States and some of the, some of the barns in the States, you know, with a 20 or 25% attendance level. And then some outdoor oh. games at like Lake Tahoe and whatnot, or mm-hmm. a yeah, few other places. Yeah. yeah. Be interesting to see. Um, do you think the Oilers, I mean, I feel like in the play in round, although we, we kind of made our own bed for sure. Once the game started, but we got, we got screwed a little bit, I think oh. with the return to play protocol. Right. Uh, do you think we're, do you think the same thing is happening potentially with with this this realignment and whatnot? Do you think the nope. Oilers are, are about where they were before? Realignment's fair. The return to play pro- protocol was explicitly unfair, and the the Oilers did get the shaft. And I will I will go down with the ship on that one. They they changed the playoff format from divisional to conference. They changed their tie breaking rules. They you know they 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 changed a few things, and they. Uh, well, for one thing, they let 24 teams in and forcing the teams that were comfortably in playoff positions like the Oilers, uh, like the Penguins, uh, to have to play uh, an extra round of, of games. And at the same time that they were saying, well, we don't know how those games would have turned out. They're all fine and dandy prorating James Neal's goals so that the Oilers would have to give Calgary a draft choice. And there was a real double standard there that honestly pissed me off and still yeah. does uh, but it's done uh, I don't see anything unfair I mean this one at least we're going in we're starting a season on a level ice surface uh, the division is maybe a little tougher than it would have been with the Pacific division with the three California teams all kind of being in a down position finally after rubbing our faces in it for a decade and a half uh, <laughs> that that we don't get to, to, you know, we're not in that division anymore. And really in the Canadian division, there's only one weak team. Even that weak team, I, 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 I have already some fear for Ottawa. They're, they're going to win games that are going to really upset the awful card. You don't want to be losing games to them. And I'm not convinced they're going to finish in last place like so many mm. people are. I just, I just, I don't know which team is going to finish below them or who they might crawl past. You know, things will go wrong for somebody, and it might not be Ottawa. But uh, I don't see them making the playoffs. But I do see them winning games and causing problems. They got uh, some good young talent on, on that team. Yeah, and I think Ottawa best bet to upset the Apple Cart for sure. Again, yeah, the other six teams, <clears throat> man, it's close. You know, like last year, the Oilers had the best record of the seven. But really, it was just a razor thin margins all the way from one to six. There wasn't a whole lot to choose. I think each of the each of the teams besides Ottawa, I think, has a has a, a you know a strong reason for their fan base to hope that they're uh, going to be a playoff team, make the top four in the in the northern division. Yeah. Um... I'm still wondering even what type of hockey we'll see, like how, how well it will align with what we're kind of used to, or if I really, I really suspect we're going to see some, or at least coaches trying to um, nail things down pretty hard defensively. And, and we might end up with some, you know, a lot of two, one games. I, I don't know. Maybe we'll be lucky and we'll see a bunch of like wide open hockey, but do you think, do you think we'll, we'll probably see a little bit more of a, a, a kind of defensive cautious kind of style a little bit. I mean, it'll be with a lot of nail biters. I think there'll be nail biters. I don't think they're going to be particularly low scoring. None, none of the Canadian teams 
uh, had a particularly great defensive record last year. I mean, Winnipeg did have the Vezina Trophy winning goalie uh, that made them more than respectable. The Oilers had the second best goals against average of any of the seven Canadian teams, but it was only 15th overall in the NHL. You know, so it's a, it's a high scoring division. There's there's certainly lots of scoring talent. You look at uh, you look at Edmonton, uh, you look at Toronto, uh, you know, at uh, at uh, uh, Vancouver, and you have uh, you know a lot of uh, elite young scorers uh, in this uh, in this conference. And I don't think you can point at any one team and say, well, there's a Kevin Constantine style team that's going to nail down every game and try and win it one nothing it's just not the style of play and it's it's not the style of play i want to see either no me neither i'm hoping you're right there um i know we had somewhat frustratingly covered by clouds a recent uh uh kind of ask uh what, what do you call it like as a convergence it was uh, a in late december conjunction. conjunction yeah yeah and i i know that that um that is looked upon by by all kinds of prophets and seers as a sign of mm. of things to come. I'm wondering if that if that confluence was in fact speaking to the arrival of a general manager in Edmonton who we could really have uh, some faith in because I mean you can't really fault him. I mean besides obviously the draft picks lost at the trade deadline out last year, which is something you can't really help. Um, I I feel like we finally have a GM that we can we can have some comfort in, take some comfort in and then feel safe and secure that, that we have like a, a steady pair of hands uh, running the ship. As, as an astronomer, do you think I'm correct in, in that interpretation of those celestial uh, events? Actually, uh, yeah, well, I'm a, an astronomer. You sound more like an astrologer with that, uh, <laughs> with that stuff, but uh, uh, it was cloudy on the 21st, but it was clear on the 20th and 22nd, and uh, I got a very good view of the conjunction Oh, great. Uh, I was curious. Throughout December. Uh, but uh, the actual close, very, very closest that they got, well, the very closest they got, uh, you had to be on the other side of the planet to see it. So mm. there's that. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, it, and a conjunction is, is a, um, <clears throat> it's, it takes time. It's not just sort of an instantaneous event that happens and is over like a, a solar eclipse, you know, it's mm. something that builds up over over time and I got a good view of it. As for uh, Ken Holland, um, I think he's a guy um, that we can trust. Like, I, I think he's, you know, he's made a long list of, of, of smart, small bets as general manager. Uh, I think he, uh, um, he's a guy who start, you know, as low tide says, start as he mean to go. And I, I think, you know, he came in talking about, uh, development of players, of um, of um, give, you know, giving liking sort of mid-career pros, going out and signing a bunch of twenty-five to twenty-seven-year-old guys uh, that were capable of playing and and contributing uh, in the short run, uh, while guys like Evan Bouchard, for example, or Philip Robery, for example, were allowed to use that time to develop their skills in, in, uh, at a different level of hockey so that when they do make it to the NHL, they're, they're less likely to be overwhelmed than the Euler tradition of tossing an 18-year-old kid into the deep end and seeing if he actually knows how to swim. 
Yeah. Um, who do you like? I mean, let's take Tyson Berry out of the equation. Like, who do you think is is are some of the kind of signing the new the new player signings that have the most potential to really like uh, knock our socks off here? Because like, there's just so many new names in the mix. Like, I just feel like I mm-hmm. haven't I haven't seen this many new names and new faces since like uh, you know year? that. <laughs> well, I mean, is it comparable to last year, really? I mean, I well, guess so. Last year, they brought in Josh Archibald, Riley Sheehan, uh, Marcus Granlin, uh, Gaetan Haas, Joachim Niegaard, uh, Thomas Yurcho. That's just forwards, you know, 26, 27-year-old forwards. And this year, he's brought in um, uh, Dominic Cahoon. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a big one. Uh, Unfortunately, he's he's not skating yet, and we don't quite know what's going on there. Uh, but that uh, uh, he brought in uh, uh, on the back end, besides uh, Tyson Berry, also uh, Slater Cuckoo uh, up front, uh, Kyle Turris. He was able to convince Yessa Pugliarvi to come back. So you know, there's there's a good infusion uh, of uh, of new or returning players on the team, but. Uh, honestly, you know, half dozen player turnover is not that uncommon, mm. especially in Edmonton, where we seem to be turning over the bottom six every other year. Yeah, but, I guess maybe it's just the players with the potential to play higher in the lineup. I feel like we've gotten hopefully. we've gotten some nice pickups. You know, I've forgotten one. I've forgotten the forward here too, haven't I? Um, the one signed to a PTO. Oh right, well yeah, that guy, Evan <clears throat> Sure. Um, you said Cahoon. Another pro, you know, another 26-year-old. Like, he really, Holland really likes to go at the level of um, RFAs who didn't get signed by their own old team, didn't get qualified. Mm -hmm. So they're not, you know, they're not 28-year-old, full unrestricted free agents. There are guys that have a nice bit of experience, but still youth on their side. And, I mean, that was was Granlund, last year who didn't really work out but it was Archibald who did work out enough to get a two-year extension and this year it's all of uh of uh Cuckoo Cahoon and Shore uh potentially Shore that uh you know are 25 26 years old uh, NS I guess is in the mix play, there too yeah played an ELC got a two-year extension played that out and now they're they're you know now they're on the market and uh, that's when uh, Holland got him, and he got him all pretty late. So he got him all pretty cheap, right? Like he paid Cahoon uh, nine hundred seventy-five thousand dollars three weeks mm. after after free agency started, and he played Cuckoo eight hundred fifty thousand three months after free agency started. Well, <clears throat> you look back to when before free agency started, he had to make decisions on his own restricted free agents. And he decided painfully to, to part with Andreas Athanasiu, despite the investment that he'd made in that player, mm-hmm. and with Matt Benning. Well, those two guys, their, their platform offers would have been $5 million combined. Yeah. $3 million for Athanasiu, $2 million for Benning. And he's replaced them basically with Cahoon and Cuckoo at, what, $1.825 million, like a fraction, literally. Yeah. For fairly equivalent players? I'd make the case, you know, I mean, Cahoon mm. and Athens to see you. I, I, I'll take Cahoon, frankly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. To, it's hard to um, feel like you know when when there's those kind of fire sales going on down the road. 
it's it's mm-hmm. hard not to kind of you know think that those kinds of moves are justified although you know obviously i wish i wish double uh, a the best uh, of luck in la mm-hmm. um the high priest of oilers magic noted that la is is the best place to move to right after a breakup so i'm sure he'll i'm ah, sure he'll he'll bounce right. back soon mm-hmm. um Always good to talk to you, Bruce. I'm curious, like, uh, what other what other stories you're following here uh, now that training camps are open up around the league and and whatnot. We obviously have a few players deemed unfit to play. I really wish they would not use the term unfit to play. It makes me think that they're like, you know, they're showed up chubby. Mm-hmm. Like they should say, you know, unable to play, excluded, mm-hmm. or some some other terminology. It's it's very it's very vexing actually to have yeah. this lack yeah. of information. Certainly for anyone in the kind of the blog or, or media or all the journalists out there, but, um, well, the rumor you know, is that one of the four guys is, is hurt as opposed to just waiting for his, um, quarantine period to e- evaporate. Uh, uh, and it's not likely to, well, certainly not going to be sure. Cause I would not have issued a PTO to someone who's hurt. Mm. Uh, and probably not, not Haas, right? You're right. And it's, uh, Haas, they know that he was, uh, he was held up because he was exposed to someone else with COVID. There's no word that he's tested positive, just that his quarantine period got basically extended because of because of uh, an exposure that he had. And so the other guys, Cahoon and Neil, that didn't take the ice yesterday, uh, uh, Jason Greger was saying that one of the two may be hurt, but he didn't know which one. Mm. So, but that might not even be ready to start the season. So they may start the season with, uh, with somebody on IR, which is not ideal. Although as the uh, brilliant Hart Levine of Puckpedia has pointed out, uh, the orders are, there's two ways they can go to bury this Oscar Clefbaum uh, contract on long-term mm-hmm. injury reserve to maximum advantage. And one is to, put them on LTIR before the season starts. If they have a couple of guys that can also put on short-term injured reserve and replace with other players so that um, they can maximize their uh, uh, salary cap uh, without cleft bomb. And the other one is to trim down, strip bare the, the roster to exactly 20 players to start the season, leave uh, cleft bomb on the roster and the very next day, put him on long-term injured reserve and, and mm. recall players. And I, either one kind of works to solve the problem. And what may tip the scales as to which way he goes is if he has a guy that's actually hurt that has to go on on uh, short-term injured reserve, they, they might manufacture another injury and push that payroll as close as they can to $81.5 million without cleft bomb. Mm. Those it's kinds very of complicated. All... Yeah. You, need a, you, need a, you, need a, uh, you need a PhD uh and capology yeah it's even more complicated than than my um my random uh astrology you know mm. which is all complete <laughs> which is completely made up so you'd think you'd think you know um <laughs> yeah i mean I, I just just off the top of my head i mean if it was neil that was injured and it was a mm-hmm. long-term injury i mean that would free up a pretty huge chunk of cap space for us to go out and get you know if it was player if we wanted right if it was long term sure yeah in the right. short term, you put you stash him on IR and you you bring in a guy to take his place. Well, it's only that guy's salary that's getting added to the payroll. Yeah. But in the like, if he has a you know an actual long term injury, then he's cleft bomb. You know, like you put him on LTIR and that opens up a significant bit of cap space. But uh, uh, I'm not hearing that it's anything that serious. And this morning I was hearing a counter counter rumor that all four guys 
should be on the ice by Friday. So who knows? Mm. I mean, we're probably going to see both goalies in the first two games we had. We're opening up with that back-to-back. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I yep. think when I look back at last year and I look back at Dave Tippett's usage and management of um, Mike Smith, I wonder if, um, you know, he maybe played him more than than one would expect based on kind of um, his understanding of, like, the player's personality and kind of trying to, like, be, like, the goalie whisperer to, like, get him in the exact right mental state and that that might have required like uh giving him a few more reps than than he otherwise would have um but do you think we're going to see like a modified usage of of the the goalie tandem this year i mean i think most of us would be comfortable with seeing koskinen in a lot more games um but do you think dave Tippett might uh, end up frustrating us by uh by going to his man uh well he frustrate a lot of people for sure i mean last year uh, uh smith got 37 starts and koskinen got 34 uh, Smith won 19 games and got 44 points. Uh, Koskinen won 18 games and got 39 points. Like how the team did, uh, you know, quite irrespective of save percentage and what other, you know, goals saved above average and, and whatever micro stats you want to look at for the guy, how the team did in front of the goalie is what the coach is most worried about. And how the team did in front of Mike Smith was two very strange things that I have no idea if either of them is sustainable. Uh, but one of them is that they scored goals at a rate 13% higher for Smith than mm. for Koskinen. And they allowed shots at a rate that was 10% lower for Smith than for Koskinen. Smith faced mm. 30.2 shots per 60 minutes. Oh, I didn't Kos- realize that. Koskinen 33.3, three more shots per game that Koskinen faced. Mm. Now, whether that's Smith's puck handling, whether it's Koskinen's tendency to give up rebounds and, you know, give up. I mean, it know, could also be like players like letting Koskinen mm-hmm. take the, take the shot more often mm-hmm. because they're a little more confident in him even too, yeah. you know, like maybe yeah, they're maybe throwing they're... themselves in front of, in front of the shots more with Mike Smith. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, how, however it worked out and maybe the team just was sort of randomly uh, uh, better in games that Smith played, or maybe there was a reason that they played better in front of him. I mean, who the hell knows, but uh, uh I would uh, humbly submit that Dave Tiffett probably knows better than I do. So, I mean, my opinion is Koskinen is the better goalie. Uh, the statistics tell me that Koskinen's the better goalie, but Smith uh, held his own when it came to record. And the same was true in Calgary the year before when he was 898, you know, but he won over half of his games in, the, in that season as well. So he's, uh, uh, he's, uh, I don't know. I, I think some of the, some of the hatred for Smith is a little bit overblown. Like his December, oh, for sure. his December slump was real and it was spectacular. He was terrible. He was the worst goalie in the NHL in December. But from January first uh, through the end of the season, uh, he started 19 games and Koskinen started 10. Co- right? Koskinen got banged up on the New Year's Eve game against the Rangers. And Smith started the first four games of the road trip that followed that. And he got seven points in those games. And he went on a bit of a roll and and Tippett rolled with him. And he was in the second half of the season, he was the number one. And he, uh, you know, he only lost uh, three games. Like the Oilers got six points in 16 of those 19 games that he started Mm. in the second half. So, yeah. and Smith was solid. Like, you know, I think his save percentage in that span was 9-11, which isn't like brilliant, brilliant, but it's not 8 It's respectable, yeah. It's, it's, it's decent. And uh, 
and the team scored goals in front of them and they uh and they did a better job of of um suppressing shots against them and uh their overall results were fine so uh it's uh whether either of those two things that i mentioned right the shot suppression and the goal production is close to sustainable uh the worry is that the only thing that's sustainable is Smith's subpar save percentage. And if that continues and the other two things don't, then there's trouble. But then that's where you might see Mikko Koskinen playing 60 to 65% of the games as opposed to 48% or whatever it was last year. Mm-hmm. Um, any, anything else you're following right now? Or, or like any, do you have, do you have a, a, maybe a bold prediction for this year? That you can give to uh, to the young children out there who are just uh, just super stoked to be kind of uh, waiting for this kind of hockey Christmas morning to be uh, to mm. occur in the next week or two here. Well, the, the young children might not get this, but the old folkies will. Um, I'm looking forward to um, uh, uh, Slater Cuckoo playing uh, defense against both Calgary and Ottawa because I think mm. there's a significant chance of a Cuckoo Kachuk rivalry. <laughs> I thought of that. That's great. I mean, I heard people say cuckoo, cuckoo for cuckoo, of course. Cuckoo Kachuk. That's that's hilarious, Bruce. I'm not even awake enough to appreciate how hilarious that is. Oh, my gosh. Well, John Lennon said it, and so did Paul Simon. So, you know, must mean something. I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well said. Well said. Well, we should call him, maybe we can call him the Eggman. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, we can start the wind down procedure here. Uh, mm-hmm. What can people uh, look forward to on the on the cult of hockey? Are you are you planning any um, any interesting stuff? That uh, like I'm sure you I'm sure you've got all kinds of stuff coming down the pipeline. I don't know if you can talk about it yet, but um, but what can people expect well, uh, uh, Bruce, uh, from we, young Bruce? We can expect uh, uh, part five and final of my training camp preview. I th- I may have to drop the P because I didn't quite get it all done before training camp got underway uh, on, of, of the wingers. And before that, we'll have coverage of the gold medal game of uh, Canada against USA at the World Juniors tonight in the world hockey uh, capital of Edmonton, Alberta, mm. which will have hosted the, uh, uh, the Stanley Cup finals and the World Junior Championships in basically a four-month span. Uh, too bad about the fans not getting the chance to get in there, but it's yeah. really remarkable how our city has become the focal point of the hockey universe. Uh, no so that, that's coming up tonight. But then uh, soon enough, we hope, if everything is follows plan, we'll be into our usual cycle of game day, post-game, post-game player grades, post-game podcasts, and uh, on a compressed schedule, you know, they're playing these 56 games in just 116 days. So they're yeah. almost literally playing every other day on average. I know. 12 back to backs. So it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tightened, uh, uh, tightened schedule. Uh, so the actual games and coverage of the games will be the main driver of our, of our content for sure. But in that sense, it's, it's really no, different from any other season other than this compression with the late start and the you know the, the shortened season and obviously we'll have a little bit more focus on the group of opponents that we're seeing over and over again right it's not like well if yeah, this is tuesday in january it must be florida kind of thing it's this is going to be you know we're going to get to know and hate 
<laughs> all yeah. of these uh all of these opponents that we're seeing on uh, it i'm actually really looking forward to that i grew up uh, uh, originally as an original six fan where each of the there was a 70 game season at that time and they they each played their five rivals 14 times each wow so there's uh, you know every chance that uh, i also grew up as a who season ticket holder mm. where uh there was um and later a Smythe Division fan where there was a lot of sort of geographic rivalries there. I mean, they always played the Winnipeg Jets 20 times in the 1978-79 season and playoffs in the, in the WHA. And we may well get not quite that number, but there's every chance you could get 10 games against uh, Calgary uh, and Vancouver and then a playoff series to follow. Yeah, the playoff series thing is crazy because we've all spent like half our lives just waiting for for two Canadian teams to go at it in the playoffs, and you know, it's just a whisper and a prayer, and it's it's never it's never seemed like anything that was even even close to possible. But the NHL has gone ahead and just basically guaranteed us that amazing gift uh, that that we're gonna that says guaranteed we're guaranteed to see Canadian teams have to go through each other. It's crazy, like the old Smythe Division, man. I mean, it used to be Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg those three at least would be in the playoffs every year. And, and you, you know, they would actually play for the Smythe division championship in the second round of the playoffs. Well, this year they'll be playing for, I guess, the North division championship in the second round of the playoffs. But you already know that if you make the playoffs, that there's a, a very limited number of teams that, uh, that you could be facing. There's none of this, uh, uh, you know, conference thing where they randomly, you know, mm. last year, the, the first four playoffs play-in series and the first round of the uh, Western Conference uh, playoffs, all eight of those series featured one Central Division team and one Pacific Division team. There wasn't one single divisional game. Like They totally scrapped that mm-hmm. in the process of coming up with a return-to-play uh, protocol. This year, they've got a, you know, a different style of return-to-play where it's very going to be intensely divisional format to the exclusion of everything else right through to the uh, Stanley Cup semifinals. Mm. Well, it's going to be it's going to be a wild ride. I mean, I think I don't think any of us are really prepared for how fun it's going to be. It's definitely going to be a kind of a bit of a sprint. Uh, make sure to hydrate. You know, it's very yeah. important to hydrate when you're going over these mm-hmm. these um, intense periods. Um, Injuries and, uh, will be magnified. That's the other thing. Uh, yeah, that's the know. other big thing. Yeah, and I mean, I, I feel like we're probably going to see the Oilers uh, like dress more players than mm-hmm. than we've seen in the regular season. And even even in a shortened season, it might be like, you know, 30, 40% more than the highest we've ever seen before, right? Yeah, well, the, season, the season's shorter, so there's less time for roster turnover. But I do think you'll see a little bit more night to night, you know, as opposed to sticking with the winning lineup as a constant of maybe with all these back-to-backs, it's not just the goalies that they're going to, you know, be be sliding in and out, but you may see, you know, James Neal one night and Alex Chase on the next as, a, as one example of, sure. of a little bit of roster flexibility and, and using not just the extra players in the press box, but that entire taxi squad getting them involved. So, and the key to that will be how does the GM uh shuffle the roster so he can bring players in and out uh, without exposing any vital parts on waivers yeah i mean that's going to be a full-time job like i i i I don't see the management staff being anything other than incredibly busy um from Mm -hmm. now until the 
basically until probably the, the start of the next season here, because I mean, with the compressed schedule, we're looking at kind of a, we're looking at a compressed, compressed off season off as season. well. Right. And then you got it. with all the play, all the transactions and personnel questions and, and probably all kinds of, there's going to be a host of free agents available on the cheap, probably next year too, that they're going to be having to work overtime to try and snag. I tell um, you what, I tell you what the uh, waiver wire on uh one to two days before the 13th is going to be wild, man. I don't know how many claims you're going to see, but you're going to see some real players that are put on waivers that teams are trying to slide through into the taxi squads and so on. And you're also going to see some ugly contracts that get slid on there. Like it wouldn't surprise me, for instance, for the Oilers to put James Neal on waivers, mm. put him on the ta- even if it's a paper transaction to accommodate that cleft bomb thing just because he's one player that they're pretty secure that they know they can wave without losing him. Right. Whereas, you know, if you put say Joachim Negard on waivers, some team might say, well, geez, he's only getting $875,000. You know, that's, that's grab him. Well, nobody's going to grab James Neal in his three years remaining at uh, five, five and three quarter million. So mm-hmm. you may see some, you'll see some ugly contracts and some big names, but there'll also be some intriguing names and especially third goalies that get waived. I'll be interested to see if any of those guys get claimed. For sure. Um, I think, I mean, given, given the, the full court press, um, Ken Holland uh, did with uh, Markstrom, where I mean, he's kind of telegraphed that he's open to um, improving at the goaltending position. So I think, I think any goalie that goes on waivers, any goalie on the trade market right now, we probably want to keep one eye on, you know? Yeah. Personally, I don't think Holland will get in the goalie. I think he committed to Mike Smith and he will, he will uncommit at such time as Smith proves on, on where, and he already has a, you know, in-house plan B with Anton Forsberg. Mm. So I, I would doubt seeing him make a move like preseason grabbing a goalie, oh, yeah, yeah. but no, during no. the year, I think it's, it's quite possible. Yeah. Um, okay, last question. Do you think uh, do you think we see Haas at uh, 4C or, or JJ? I mean, I know you've written about this at great length, so I know I'm asking yeah. you to repeat yourself probably a little bit, but if you had to guess, if, if you had to bet $100 right now on the spot. Uh, I would say JJ for opening night, and with Haas having every chance of winning the job uh, as the season progresses. And, and only I'm voting JJ because Haas is starting from behind a little bit, being... Uh, a late yeah. arrival at camp. Uh, he has to prove he can kill penalties. JJ has proven that. Mm. So that that's his advantage with uh, with um, Tippett. And I, th- and I think Tippett really liked the, the big, heavy fourth line that he had of, uh, of Kara with uh, Neil and Chase on that he yeah. used very late in the season and in, uh, throughout the play-in rounds. And they played pretty good. So I think that might be his default starting position. But... Uh, He's got more players and places to put him, which is a nice problem to have, but it's a problem. Yeah. I see my upstairs neighbor is doing their daily uh, buffing of their floor. They use like some kind of like, you remember like in public schools, there's like that yep. giant buffer they use on all the hallways. I swear to God, they, they have uh-huh. one of those upstairs and they use it every goddamn day. I don't know what is going on up there. Um, but that's well, usually a sign that we need to wide things down. <laughs> can you hear that i maybe maybe it's not getting picked up on mic no, that would be I, funny I, I can just barely hear some sort of weird weird it's a lot better than his his freestyle <laughs> rapping I, I can tell you that i'd rather listen to to that <laughs> well you're, you're a prince for coming on mike bruce um the fans uh really really always respond uh very very enthusiastically to your appearances on handkerchief dynasty so i really appreciate you taking the time um 
the high priest of Oilers Magic sends his regrets that he couldn't join mm. us. He's uh, he like heard my with him one time. Yeah. Uh, well, he's busy. I asked him to deliver. Like I know it's important for me to hydrate too. So he's mm -hmm. actually and there's he's bringing some kegs over. So so my supply right. of of hydration mm -hmm. uh, supply <laughs> is is well well set for hockey season are you secret yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> i'm not sure are you mr or doctor professor um, that's, a, that's a big that's a big argument these days are you you know <laughs> that's true uh let's let's go with mr no i mean yeah. i'm i'm the secret professor i mean the people that listen to my other podcast now know my name so i don't need to be oh. that secret about it but um <laughs> i'll call you mr secret professor and it's always i'll take that i'll take it it's always it has a, a nice ring to, to it. yeah i mean i'm i'm as eventually the more people that call me that the more more chance i'll get some kind of tenure track position here so fingers crossed um all right bruce well enjoy the rest of your morning and uh, always so great talking to you and really appreciate your insights and we'll be uh we'll all be following your work on uh cult of hockey and, and twitter and all that really really closely and really looking forward to the season i'm sure you are too i sure am thank you secret professor have a great yeah. day